Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Mark Etheridge. We are here for a pre-Christmas edition of Highway to Hoover, getting you through the, the holiday season. So hello out there if you are driving to you know, grandma's house or heading to the airport or you're sitting on a plane or you're hiding in a guest bedroom trying to escape having awkward or troublesome conversations with family members. Um, or you're watching it is, a bad bowl game and you need uh, a yeah. play. <laughs> yeah, more on that more on that in just a second. But yeah, so however you're listening to us during this holiday season, first of all, happy holidays to you and your family. And, and thank you for being along the ride with us, not just today, but throughout the entirety of, of 2023. Looking forward to doing this a lot more in 2024. Mark and I are going to do a little bit. I don't even know how to really what to really call this episode. I titled it What We Do and Don't Know About the SEC. So some of this is going to look back. Some of this is going to look forward. Um, We'll explain it a little bit better as we get into it. But before we jump into that, I have to let you know that this episode of Highway to Hoover and every episode of Highway to Hoover is brought to you by PitchLogic, the system used by players, coaches, scouts, and instructors at all levels of play from youth leagues to the big leagues. The easy-to-use and affordable technology makes the platform accessible to every player at every level. All the metrics and features used at the highest level of our sport. See PitchLogic.com for more information. Uh, Mark, before we get into the baseball stuff, you mentioned bowl games. I actually wanted to start there. Um, I will throw it out there and say that I am pro bowl game. I understand why they're not as big a deal. I understand why some of them are objectively bad, but I just feel like they're not really hurting anybody. (laughs) So I'm pro bowl game. Where do you, where do you come down on that? We're, we're, we're aligned here. Uh, If you don't, if you don't care, don't watch them because I yeah, certainly I don't. don't watch several of them and some of them, Hey, I've got time and they're on and yeah, that they're, you know, they're white noise in the background sometimes, but then if, if it's close at the end, Hey, you pick a side and you're all in. Right. And, and I enjoy that. I, I do think that, you know, next year is going to be interesting with the expanded playoff, you know, how that affects the bowl games and maybe, maybe some matter a whole lot less, you know, even than they do now, believe it or not. But, but those playoff games here, you got 12 teams that care instead of four um, sign me up for that. More good teams yeah. playing each other. Uh, yeah. That, that's what I want. I'm with you. And next year in particular in college football is going to be interesting with that because it's my understanding that, a lot of the existing bowl agreements come up at the end mm-hmm. of 2025. Yeah. And so next year is going to be kind of a, a mashup. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll be interested to see what happens because unless some bowls are going to go away and, and that happens occasionally, uh, unless some bowls are going to go away, we already have a situation where we've gotten to the point where every year we have either some five and seven teams playing or mm-hmm. In this this year, in this case, they let Jacksonville State and James Madison play in bowl games when they otherwise would not have let them in order to fill out the bowl spots. So next yeah. year when we have the playoffs, and, and some of those will be bowl games, I'm sure, but not every round is going to be bowl games. I, I imagine not. Maybe I'm wrong, but the, the math is just not going to work out. So <laughs> next year will be kind of messy, I think, to um, yeah. to, to, to figure out from a bowl standpoint. Yeah, not to mention what happens to the Pac-12 affiliated bowls that no longer have Pac-12 teams. Yeah, I read a story about that on The Athletic the other day. Uh, go check it out if you're interested in that, kind of the behind-the-scenes logistics stuff, because I found it kind of interesting. Um, mm. And the conclusion of which seemed to be just like a shrug of the shoulders. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure, figure it out. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I, so I, one of the things just real quick, I, I mean, I love a couple of things about bowl games. One is just like this past Monday, I watched Western Kentucky play old dominion at two 30 in the afternoon on a Monday in front of what looked like 5,000 people in, in Charlotte's on campus stadium. Um, that, that, by the way, I referred to as the Chris Finwood bowl, uh, old dominion head coach, baseball coach, uh, Chris Finwood is now, now at old dominion. He used to be the head coach at Western Kentucky. Um, so that's beautiful. Like we start to get more of those next week where we just have like, you know, random weekdays that have four games. Um, yeah. We kind of have a smattering now. The other thing is it's not true anymore, but what got me into bowl games. And, and I think you could argue what got me into college football more broadly is I, I specifically remember watching a bowl game. This is probably the late nineties, early aughts. And I saw Boise State play and I was like, Boise State? Like, what is that? And I, You know, Dan Hawkins, I think, was the head coach at the time who went on to coach it at Colorado. Um, and I just and, and the announcers were talking about, oh, this is a, a really good Boise State or maybe Dirk Cutter was the head coach. I forget which. But, you know, this Boise State program is is, is really consistent. They're, you know, a big winner in the, at the time, the whack. And I just thought I had no idea they had a football program. And so. I, when was I ever going to get to see Boise state play? Right. And so bowl games presented that opportunity. And so that's kind of how I got into it was just, and now there's such an oversaturation. If there's an FBS team out there, you want to watch buddy, you can watch them every weekend, basically. Right. It gets a little sticky if you're you know talking about a CUSA team or mountain West or whatever, but for the most part, like games are easy to come by, you know, as long as you have ESPN plus you got pretty much all of it. So, um, but back in those days, as you know, like, the, the bowl games were sometimes the only time you'd get to see some of these teams. And it was like, it was like uh, opening up a Christmas gift where it's like, Oh, what is this team? Let me learn everything I can about this team by watching this game that I've never, this team I've never heard of and know nothing about. Like I found that really exciting as a kid. And you know, some of that has just been lost because of now right. again, the, the glut of games available. Yeah. And you know, as an old, as, as I'm <laughs> referred to, um, I used to love bowl games. I mean, they, they mattered to the, to the fans, they matter to the teams, the coaches, the players. Now, not so much, right? And and they're just sort of an exhibition at this point. And and it certainly has taken the luster off of it. But there's still that you know that excitement when those pairings come out and you see who's playing who, and and then all of a sudden you know you, you get that you know those few matchups that that really do get you fired up. It really you know can can fill the time and, 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 you know, become appointment viewing. Right. And, and there are a few of those this year. So yeah. excited to get this going. And, and, uh, and, you know, this is the perfect time of the year because, you know, a lot of people are off work. A lot of people are, you know, sitting around, maybe you don't want to talk to, you know, to, to uncle Willard and, and, and aunt, especially, Maureen. especially once he's gotten yeah. into the Miller lights, you know? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, yeah. maybe football's the right, the right play. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It, it is a good time of year for that. It is also a good time of year for, uh, you know, just talking a little bit about sec baseball, I guess. Mm -hmm. the, the thing about these episodes, Mark, is that the folks listen to this on December 21st, the day this is released, those are your diehards. Like this is our core constituency right here. If you're listening to this in the month of December, salute to you. Yeah. Uh, you. You are, you are the people we are trying to reach here with highway to Hoover and sec extra more, more broadly. So uh, a, a salute to you and uh, thanks for, for being along with us. Uh, Mark, let's, let's introduce our topic a little bit tonight. We're, we're, yeah. we're kind of loosely calling it 
what we do and don't know about the SEC. So we're going to talk about three big picture topics here. The first one is what is something that happened in the last 12 months? So basically just last season that changed the way you, what you believe about a team or a concept or something, right? So what do you feel differently about now than you did a year ago? That's one. Two. I got three of them. Okay. Wow. We're okay. We're going to be cooking with gas. Um, The second is what's a team in the sec you have a really good feel for coming out of the fall. Now it doesn't mean you're going to be right. Right. I mean, anything can happen, but a team that you feel like, Hey, I, I know what this team is going to be. And the last one is kind of the fun one, which is here's a team that I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's kind of fun because that's where we all learn together and, and learn about a team on the fly. So we will, we will wrap with that one, Mark, I will let you hit lead off because if you have three of them, then we're going to let you empty the clip a little bit. (laughs) Um, What is some, give us your examples of of something you believe now that you didn't a year ago. Well, I thought that NIL would be a parity maker, right? It sort of has been in football. You, You see the Georgias and Alabamas and Ohio state, they can't stockpile talent the way they once did because people want to play right. And they're leaving. And I thought that, you know, it's true in the most high-profile sport, so I kind of expected that to happen elsewhere, right? Um, I don't believe it is. I believe in our sport, um, specifically in our league, um, that because of the roster size, because of the the way that you can pluck uh, talent from mid-majors or smaller teams or, or sometimes – equivalent teams to fill those holes in your team. I don't know that you're going to get parity. I think you're going to, the rich are going to get richer and the, the, the teams that have the established NIL programs, the teams that have the, the large budgets, the team, the, the teams that are winning today, basically, and the teams that, that can establish those things in the future, they're going, they're going to have the most success because they're going to have the best players and they're going to continue to recruit really well in the, you know, through the high school ranks. And then maybe they have a guy who doesn't pan out. Maybe they have an injury, maybe they have whatever, and they'll just go supplement. And, and I do think that, because of that, and I was, you know, I was expecting this might level the playing field a little bit. I don't think it will. I, I really think that um, based on what we've seen to this point, that you're going to have a lot more dream team type of clubs. Now, we can get into a discussion about the health of the sport with that. And in different, you know, people can have different opinions on it. But what I will tell you is if ratings matter people like those star-studded teams people watch when you have multiple good players on one team okay there's gives them a multiple ways to to build connections multiple ways to to enjoy that team and you know ratings and popularity don't necessarily equal health i'm not making that correlation but but from a, a popularity standpoint this is only going to help the sport. Okay. Now maybe from a competitive equity standpoint, we, we can have a different discussion, but, but I do think that, um, you know, that I guess to put a bow on this, I thought that, you know, people wouldn't want to sit and they would move elsewhere. 
and I think that's happening. But the people that are taking their place are the best players on the other teams that, that those players go to. And you're getting those trades of a, a player who's maybe non-established for one who is, and they're plugging it in. Okay. So that's the first. I'll let you go, and then I've got a couple I'll be brief on. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good one. And it's a big picture topic that I hadn't really considered for this. And, and um, you know, look, the transfer portal and transfers in general are, are a living, breathing organism. Uh-huh. And so I, I, one of the big picture things I'm fascinated with, just as a separate, just as an aside here, is is that I think what the transfer portal is just going to take on a lot of different looks over the years. Like I, I wonder, yeah. and this might not affect baseball as as much as it affects the more high profile sports, the men's and women's basketball, and then football is there's just seems to be a lot of chaos. There's always been chaos in the transport world, but you add to it, the confusion over that deal a couple of weeks ago. And, and look, I'm not the guy to go to for like complex NCAA legislation courtroom stuff, yeah. but the idea it's like, Oh no. Yeah. Anybody who like, is looking for a second time transfer waiver. Like you can just play now. And then the NCAA is like, well, sure, but we may later find you ineligible. And like, that's chaotic. And then, you know, yeah, yeah. I definitely have some thoughts on that. I mean, if, if you're going to allow multi-transfers, right. So you can play your freshman year at Alabama and your sophomore year at Auburn and your junior year at Georgia and your senior year at Florida and then maybe there's a fifth year and there's you get granted for whatever reason, COVID or whatever, and you go somewhere else. How are you progressing in your life, man? If, if you're in a new place, every, certainly from a degree standpoint, from a um, continuity standpoint, that's got to be really challenging. I mean, I, that would be difficult for me as an old, right? But as a, as a college kid, how are you going to manage that? Right. And I know that's an extreme example, but but you're talking about the, the ability to just leave whenever you want. Hey, the coach didn't the coach was mean to me today. I, I'm leaving. Right. And I don't know that that, that to me is problematic. Um, I think in the in the past, we were very restrictive with what we allowed players to do and i think we've overcompensated and if we and if this thing goes in we're definitely overcompensating okay so you know it's i'm not exactly sure the the right balance for this but i know it's not playing at a new you know going to a new university all four or three years out of your four right that's too much okay i don't know what the right right number is but that seems like excessive to me as you know just someone with life experience who you know has dealt with change a little bit it's why i i've long said for those who are really freaked out about the transfer portal you should take solace in the fact that transferring is a real pain in the rear end yeah and and people don't like player i think there's an assumption that a lot of players are out there just kind of trying to stick their hand out and transfer at the drop of a hat and look there there are certain players that's probably true of mm-hmm. but for the most part you go to you went to that college for a reason, and chances are you made some friends, and you might even have a significant other now, and like, yeah. you know, or or heck for that matter, academics, right? Like, I like this program. I want to go be this or that or whatever, and this is best for me. So, like, 
these players don't just want to transfer like as a compulsion, you know, <laughs> like they, they're looking for opportunities, but there's also just other chaos out there too with, with, I think there was a, early on, there was an opportunity for advisors. And this is especially true in, in baseball, a sport where you can get drafted out of high school and then elect to go to college and then wait out a couple of years. So you've kind of had an advisor your entire time there, whereas a football player might not have had an advisor until it was clear that he was a NFL prospect. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you hear kind of those horror stories of advisors pushing kids into the portal and, you know, then trying to get NIL money for them, um, but then taking a, a huge chunk for themselves. And I, and I do wonder if those stories kind of making the rounds, whereas a, in the first couple of years of the transfer portal, a kid might have been naive to that and thinking like, this is just how it works. That now, maybe not. And so maybe that curtails some of it. I, we're all just really speculating here, but I, I say all that to say, um, this five years from now, like not only, I mean, college athletics is probably gonna look a lot different in five years, much less 10 years, but even if everything else stayed the same, I think the, the shape of the transfer portal is just bound to look different as we go through different iterations of this thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. just inevitable. All right. Hey everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Um, all right. Well, we'll uh, I'll speed through a little bit of this here. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so one of mine is that I think in the modern, I, I've kind of thought this over the years, but uh, let me put it this way. In the SEC, we tend to hyperfixate, understandably, on the pitchers. And that is a lot of what sets the SEC apart, right? I mean, think mm -hmm. about the most dynamic arms we've seen in college baseball in the last, just the last few years, right? You, you, you Skeens, obviously, Dolander, Kamar Rocker, Jack Leiter, you know, uh, Jack Caglione, I guess, in terms of at least talent, right? Um, you know, Florida's had some guys. So that is kind of what sets the SEC apart in a lot of ways. But with that being said, I think what I've changed my mind on is that you have to hit in this league. Yeah. I don't, I'm not so sure you can just pitch your way to being an elite team. Um, and, you know, maybe Vanderbilt will test that this year, right? Um, if the offense doesn't come around and there, there are questions there, but I just, Sorry, the, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the idea, yeah, funny enough, the idea is just the idea that you can just kind of pitch your way to it and just do enough offensively, I think is, I just don't know if I believe that as much anymore, given that, I mean, a, the offensive talent has also just become bonkers in this league, but mm -hmm. then secondarily is just it's a really offensive environment in college baseball when, especially when the weather gets warm, that ball just jumps and Hey, if, look, you might strike out a bunch of dudes, but if you're throwing 98, that ball's going to come off the bat at 110 and you're going to give up some long balls. You just are. And if you're not able to fight fire with fire with that kind of thing, I think you can pitch your way to being really good. I'm just not so sure you, you can, you know, be sec champion good or national title good or anything like that because you've, you have got to swing the bats. And this is not an SEC thing, but look at last year in the College World Series. Wake Forest pitched about as well as you could ever pitch. Mm -hmm. Like there is really nothing they did wrong on the mound the entire time. They couldn't score runs. And, you know, again, that's that's an that's an ACC club, but let's be honest, it was an SEC talent club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it will be again this year. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, but I think the point stands Whereas, if you're going to, if you're going to win big on that kind of level, like I think you've just, you've got to be able to slug a little bit and, mm -hmm. and, and I'd love to be wrong because one of the things I like about baseball as a sport 
even in the professional level, is you can win a lot of different ways. There's really more than one way to skin the cat, but it feels a little bit like that's less true these days, just given yeah. the offensive environment. So, yeah, I agree um, completely. Yeah. What else? Do you, what else you got, Mark? Yeah, I, I think one thing is Butch Thompson will figure it out at Auburn. That um, was my. That was my actually my other one. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, I mean, he's he's just he's got the culture in a place, and 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 you know, go back and find the story that we did this fall on on Butch Thompson is building how he his approach to 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 coaching and, and culture. He doesn't like that word, but it had the process, we'll call it, uh, what he's doing at Auburn. And, and and I do think that, you know, it just goes to show you what that steadying hand, what that uh, consistency, what that uh, caring approach and, and leadership principles can do, you know, in the most cutthroat league in the country. Because right? Auburn was not the most talented team last year and they hosted a regional. Um and he's just just one of those one of those difference makers in the dugout that everybody wants and very few have. Okay, so then the other one, um, Jay Johnson's going to be able to handle the portalites, right? Uh, I know I was pretty outspoken. I know a lot of people were. LSU's biggest uh, biggest obstacle last year was LSU. I felt like they would win the title unless they got in their own way because they were the most talented team. And usually in our sport, the most talented team doesn't win. And, and that was interesting to me to see how you handle all that talent and all those egos. And then you go out and, and, you know, you win the title and then you bring in more of those guys this year to more new people to take, positions away from your existing people or existing players and how you manage that, right? That's fascinating to me anyway. And, and part of what we're going to roll out for our, for our season preview is, you know, I sat down with, with Jay and talked about that is how do you, how do you handle this? Right. Everybody thinks they have the answer. Well, you just did it. So what can you share? Right. And, and I do think that that's, yeah, that's a that's a big part of our sport. Everybody loves. Hey, LSU's got all this talent. Oh, they're they have nil money. They have the great fan support. They have all these advantages that other teams don't have. But that doesn't that alone doesn't win you games. All right, you you've got to be able to implement it and, and keep people pointed in the same direction. And he did that last year. And, and I, that's a part of sport um, going forward. Is is how you accumulate that talent and how you all, you know, remain on the same page when people have to sit because there's only so many at bats and so many innings. That's a good call. I think um, that's something that I thought was really impressive about what LSU did last season was just that they, they gave a proof of concept for, Hey, you can win this way. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's maybe a, a difficult needle to thread and, um, I think if they had brought back the same team, it would it'd be more difficult the second year yeah. because everyone starts to like feel themselves a little bit more, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that, that's a good call there. All right, let's move on to the next little stage here. Uh, we're going to go to our teams that we have a good feel for and I'll yeah. go first. And, and yeah. I think we know what Kentucky's going to be. 
right? Uh, um, yeah. They're going to basically run back what they did last year. And, you know, hard to argue with the results, right? But this is going to be a team that fields the ball, at least on paper, at an elite level. I mean, you're looking at a, a, a defense that includes Grant Smith, who might be the best short, steadiest shortstop it's in the good country. One. Not, the, not the flashiest, but maybe the steadiest shortstop in the country. Amelia Petre, who would play shortstop like basically anywhere else at yeah. second base. Uh, the most likely third baseman is Mitchell Daly from Texas, who played shortstop at Texas. Right. And then they've got a big 6'4 lefty first baseman, Ryan Nicholson from Cincinnati, who can really pick it over there. On top of that, you've got Devin Burks at catcher, who could have gone pro if he, if he wanted. Uh, you've got Ty Crittenberger, who can really run, like plus-plus runner in center field. And so, I mean, that's makes up a core of, of an excellent defense. And, and last year, Kentucky tied for first place with Oral Roberts for the best fielding percentage in the country. And I think they're going to be right there again. Look, you know, somebody boots a ball once or twice more and you're, you, you finish eighth in the country or whatever. But I think they're going to be on that kind of level defensively. Offensively, I think they're also going to be action-oriented because, again, you've got good athletes. You've got speed everywhere. You've got some guys, you know, I think there's actually an opportunity they might hit with a little more power this year. They're not going to be, you know, what LSU was last year or any number of other SEC clubs were last year, but Nicholson's got pop. I think there's more in the tank for Devin Burks. If Ryan McCoy can actually have the breakout season that we thought he might have last year, he's got some pop. Nolan McCarthy, maybe a breakout guy there. Like he's got some pop. So they may hit with a little more power. I don't think it's going to be their calling card. Um, you know, and then on the mound, they've got Travis Smith, Mason Moore. Like, I think they're going to throw a bunch of strikes. Um, they're not going to be a team that strikes out 15 per nine innings or something. Like they don't have anybody that's going to transform into Paul Skeens overnight, but they're going to throw a bunch of strikes. They've got a bunch of numbers. They're going to give you a bunch of different looks on the mound. And what's interesting about that team too, I feel like we have a good feel for what they're going to be, but we'll have to see if they can be as successful with it. Right. Because they work on pretty thin margins. Uh, you know, just because they play low scoring games, yeah, they right. play close games. And, a good point. and last year, a lot went right, not just in terms of the way they performed, but also you look at their schedule with the way they scheduled. They played Elon. Elon turned out to be good, like top 65 in RPI. Wright mm-hmm. State ter- was 80 in RPI. Um, Indiana State obviously was like top 10 in RPI for a lot of the year. Uh, they played Indiana in the midweek. They played Xavier in the midweek. Both those teams were better last year than they had been in a while. So a lot of things broke right for Indiana to do exactly what they did last year. So it's possible this team is just as good, but just doesn't get the breaks they got last year. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how that goes. Because like I said, I, I believe in the, the what they're doing, but when you're working on that thin a margin, it doesn't take much for your fortunes to really, really change there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Mark, what do, you, what do you got for your team? You have a, a good feel for. Yeah, um, I believe in Arkansas, right? Um, you know, m- maybe offensively they aren't going to be quite as strong as last year, but I don't think they're going to have to be. I think they're they're going to be solid offensively, and they're going to pitch so much better because they're deeper. Uh, they've got premium guys. They've got depth. They've got bullpen. They've got, you know, all those – things that they had sometimes last year because they really finished the year with, you know, four or five guys they believed in. They're going to have, you know, twice that many now. 
And because of that, you're, you aren't going to need to score as many runs. You're, you're, you're going to be able to, to pitch better. And, and I'm a believer in, you know, the Van Horn system. And, and, and I just feel like they're going to be one of the teams to beat nationally. They were last year and they just ran out of pitching. And I think they've remedied that. And, and as a result, um, you know, Arkansas would be one of my favorites to win the whole thing. Right. And, and certainly there, there are a lot of challengers, especially, you know, they're playing in the SEC West and you got LSU and um, A&M's going to be really good, you know, and of course you, you never know what, you know, Alabama and Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you know, they, they're, they're all going to be challenging games, but, um, but I, I think right now I would pick Arkansas to win the West, which means I'm probably, you know, picking them as one of the top teams in the entire country. And a big part of that is, you know, they had some deficiencies that they've addressed on the mound. And, you know, and there's also that pedigree that, you know, that confidence that, that you have that, that Dave is going to, he's going to have them ready when it matters. Yeah, I think, I think it, that's a great point. I totally agree. And I understand the concerns about the offense for Arkansas, but the next time that Arkansas doesn't find a way to get like a buck 25 on the dollar for their offensive mm-hmm. players will be the first time. Mm-hmm. Like they just do a really good job in the portal. They have a bunch of guys that are a little bit better than they were last year. Right. And, yeah. and that, that works. And so you mentioned the Dave Van Horn formula. I just think that's like winning is the Dave Van Horn formula. Yeah. So, I mean, you ask any coach, they're one of the most challenging teams to play for because they don't beat themselves and they put pressure on you. Right. And yeah. And typically you're, especially in Fayetteville, you're going to make more mistakes than they do. And that, yeah. you know, in a, in a tight game, that's the difference. Yeah. So the team I have no feel for, and you mentioned them a little bit earlier, the team I have no feel for is Auburn. And I should be clear, that doesn't mean I don't have faith they're going to be good because yeah. I, like Mark, am also now at a point where I'm like, you know what? They're just going to be good. Like, is it, Omaha, right. is it Omaha good? I don't know. Is it host good? I don't know. But they'll be good. They'll, they'll figure it out. Uh, but that being said, I don't have a good feel for what that yeah. looks like, right? I mean, there's a lot of questions like, is Joseph Gonzalez part of this? I don't know. Like, what does the rotation look like if he's not involved? I don't know. Um, you know, they've they lost some veterans in the lineup. So, like, who helps Ike Irish in the lineup? Uh, we'll see, you know. Um, so it, we've got these questions. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I have I have a lot of faith. But, man, if, if you forced me to write out Auburn's lineup or, <laughs> hey, if I told – if somebody said, hey, if I told you Auburn wins – 42 games and hosts a regional and challenges to go to Omaha. Explain to me how that happened. Like I would have no idea, <laughs> um, but I'd believe it. <laughs> so um, again, I, just because I don't have a field doesn't mean I don't think they'll be good, but that's the team that, that feels a little bit mysterious to me at, at this point in time. Yeah. I think they'll have more pitching depth than last year. Um, but, but Gonzalez is a huge part of that. Right. So you know, because everybody else ships back a day if if, yep. if he's right. So, and then offensively, obviously Irish, and where does he play? Is he the catcher? Is he the DH? 
Uh, Cooper McMurray's back. Bobby Pierce is back. You, you do have some some older veteran guys in the middle of that lineup, but they're going to need some, you know, other and, and Stan was Stanfield, the leadoff mm-hmm. guy. They're they're going to have a few guys back, but they're going to need some some of those portal additions and and, and newcomers to step step forward if they're going to get where they want to go. Which, you know, it's it's so tough to pick the West right now. And honestly, if you you know going to 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 my side of this answer, um, I have really two teams that I, I kind of jockeyed back and forth against. I guess I'll talk about both. Uh, the first one is Alabama. Uh, I was able to see them this fall, and I was impressed, right? All those new players, but how are they going to all mesh together? I mean, it's it's almost an entirely new, new uh, offensive group. Uh, they do have some pitching back, but even those guys are in different roles. A lot of them are. So it's there. There are you know, Rob Bond's done a good job everywhere he's been, but this is a step up, and you're Alabama, and you're one of the have-nots in the SEC, and it is is you know hard every week. So I, I do think that you know that's a team that I wouldn't be surprised if if they're a regional club. I wouldn't be surprised if they're maybe a little bit better than that. I also, wouldn't be surprised if they finish last. So it's. It, they've just got such a wide variety based on all those new players. Uh, the other team I can't quite get a handle on is Ole Miss. And I think that because they've, you know, last year was, they were, they had a star studded offense and really didn't, didn't produce as, as we might have wanted them to. Um, but they've added some pieces. Um they struggled on the mound. They just weren't deep enough, weren't good enough in, in, in some instances. A lot of those guys took lumps in their back, and they should be better. You know, what's our favorite thing to say? Guys are allowed to get better, and I think they will. And, and they've also added some pieces. So it's it's just one of those things where I don't know if, if we're kind of jaded because Mississippi State had those – you know, had the bad year, and we all thought they would jump back, and they didn't. Uh, they jumped back a little, but not enough. Um, we, we shouldn't just assume Ole Miss is going to jump back. We also sh- shouldn't assume they're not, right? Two two totally different scenarios just because they're in the same state That's and they won the title, you know, before doesn't mean they're going to follow the same pattern. So that that for me is 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 a bit of a – just a mystery on, on how they're going to respond uh, talent-wise. They, they should be they, they should be right back where they usually are. I just, you know, until you see it and with so, so much competition that you're going to face week in, week out, it's, it's kind of a leap of faith. Totally agree. I mean, I keep going back to the fact that I have a really hard time imagining back-to-back bad Mike Bianco teams, mm-hmm. but – I had a hard time imagining back-to-back bad Mississippi State teams, right? So, um, such such is life. So, we'll, yeah, that that is a fascinating one for me as well. Shout out also to Texas A and M, a team that I I assume yeah. they're going to be pretty good, but like, how much better is the pitching, if at all? Well, just some questions there. I, I feel a little more sure of them because I like the offensive pieces a lot, but we will see on them as well. Uh, that is going to do it for this edition of Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. That's what we do and don't know about the SEC. Notice there's a lot more we don't know than yeah. we do know. Uh, Mark, Look, Mark and I have never 
have never tried to pass off that we're that smart. Honestly, no. like you, you'll no. never hear us say that. And and we're um, not very good at picking games. Okay, right. So just actually, just you know up. what? You know what, Mark? That is actually not true. You and I finished first and second in D one baseballs. Yeah, uh, it's a low bar, man. Picks they well. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> relative to the field, we don't have to be the fastest guy. We just have to be running away from the bear. the bear. We just have to be faster <laughs> than the slowest guy. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you and I did a good job, but but not particularly. Yeah, you know, we're not the, that, bright, we're not is, the brightest bulbs in the box, you know. Yeah, I have a few skills that is not one I tout. Indeed. Uh, so that's what we do and don't know about the SEC. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Highway to Hoover. Uh, thank you, as always, to Pitch Logic, our title sponsor here at Highway to Hoover. Uh, thank you, the listener, as always, for listening. Thank you, Mark. We'll talk to you all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.